uncovering your truth and fire, one conversation at a time. This is the Spitfire Podcast. Hey guys, it's strategic business and executive coach Lauren Lamunian, straight out of Washington, D.C. I hope you're enjoying the Spitfire Podcast as much as I am in making it. These are amazing stories from real life people living out their truth and fire. So keep spreading the word and keep being awesome. We are on episode 13, and I think in some cultures this is a lucky number, and this felt like a lucky and serendipitous guest to have on today's show. I found Mark Cordone in one of the coaching forums that I belong to, and he had put out an amazing post about a book that he just finished writing and published. It's called Beyond Resilience, and Mark has fiery red hair. He's amazing. I'm like, that my friends, is a spitfire. And so I reached out to Mark and he said, hell yeah. So if our pre-recorded interview is any indication, it's a lot of fun. I know it because I've listened to this recording already, but I will let you know that there are some, yeah, there's some choice language on my part, on Mark's part. It's all good. There's some F-ons flying. So you've been pre-warned. If you have children in the car, maybe let's save this episode for later and enjoy it with your earbuds in. Maybe not blast it from the shower with your Bose uh, remote speaker. But it is awesome. If the cursing bothers you, I apologize in advance. But if you can suspend your judgment, go for it. Enjoy episode 13 with Mark Cordon. Lauren, thank you for having me on. I did enjoy that like pre-interview. I feel like we're besties already. We totally are. And maybe we'll do this for bonus <laughs> material where if you subscribe to the show, you can then hear our, our banter in the beginning. Oh my gosh, yes. Yes. Uh, we just had we just had Lauren freestyle flow on me like with some like coaching wisdom. Yes. So it was like half Buddha, half like Jersey <laughs> flow on me. Uh, yeah, it was... rhymes means Buddha. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but it's awesome to be here. Thank you. Awesome. So Mark and I went through the same coaching school. So uh, we went through the Institute for Professional Excellence in Coaching. So if you hear us refer to IPEC, that's what it is. We'll have the link for you in there. But uh, we come from the same foundational knowledge around coaching. But Mark, you have taken a very awesome, rebellious, punk rock approach to coaching, <laughs> which I'm super excited about. But I want you to tell me about what are you doing with it? Yeah, that's a good question. I ask myself that every morning. Like, <laughs> what am I doing with this, right? Um, well, I, I think the big reason why I wanted to go off and be a coach was um, I had been working in a higher education for like 13 years, sister. So I was like, the first seven years, I was doing social justice work, right? So I was like this angry Asian, like, you know, like cigarette in the mouth. Like, if you don't, if you're not angry about something, I'm going to throw a chair and I'm going to make people angry about it. Um, and then I thought about it and I was like, there's got to... There's got to be a more sustainable way to live life than to go to bed angry at the world every yeah. day. And so I ended up going over to um, to uh, do some uh, uh, health stuff with the institution I was working for, and they gave me a blank spot on my contract. And I was like, okay, so I'm going to talk about, like, happiness and stuff. Like, that's what I want to talk about when it comes to health. And I want to make it cool. Like, I don't want it to just be, like, condoms on bananas type of stuff when it comes to health. Like, I want folks coming in and really thinking about their health and, and their mental well-being. Um, and the next thing you know, we were having, like, these, like, happiness boot camps. And the folks were staying over summers to do internships with us uh, to improve uh, not only their life, but the life of uh, those around them. Um, but the next thing I knew, I was staying at work till like 11, 12 at night, and I was seriously like the most unhappy, happy person ever. <laughs> Is it like being skinny fat, being happy angry? It's, it's, it's worse than that. It's worse than that. Um, because like I'd be coming in and like folks would be like super inspired. I knew that the next morning we were going to have an office full of students coming in to talk about the lecture they just heard or uh, these different concepts about happiness. And I love talking about it, but like, yo, my like kid was getting older and like I wasn't spending time with my family back mm. in Tampa. And so I was feeling like all these things that I wanted to do um, personally were getting run rough, roughshod mm -hmm. with what I needed to do at work. So 
I would focus on things like, okay, we can get another grant, we can do this, we can do that. And I guess the concept is like being stuck on a hedonic treadmill. Mm-hmm. So like the the more and more you want something, the more, the faster the treadmill goes. Yeah. And usually that something is happiness. And yeah. I I just couldn't figure out why I couldn't get it. Yeah. And I was like totally preaching it. So, yeah, I call um, I call it the hamster yeah. wheel because you're generating the own your own speed to make it faster. Right, right. And the hamster wheel or the uh, uh, what is it that other folks call it? the rat race is very similar, yeah. right? Like, the more and more you chase something, the faster that thing goes. Or if you're on uh, a treadmill, the higher the, the treadmill goes or the higher the incline and the faster it goes. And you're like, why the hell am I working my ass off? Yeah. And I'm still not seeing these outcomes. Yeah, the treat, the treat is still in the same spot no matter how fast you go. It's totally in the same spot. And if you ever get to the point where you actually get the treat, like – um, in higher ed, it was like, get the recognition or you get the promotion. Um, I, I would say that's in other places of work as well, right? The promotion or you mm-hmm. get, um, uh, you get the trophy. Like three, three years later, you want another trophy. Yeah. It's not enough for Cordon to win the Nobel Prize. He wants two, you know? So I think that was something that I really, um, I thought about and, and, uh, you know, I, I started to walk around, um, and at the time, I thought that I was impervious because I was out of fucks to give. Mm-hmm. But it it wasn't about the worst. The worst part about not having fucks to give is that I no longer cared. Yeah, I didn't care what the institution did to me. I didn't care whether they fired me. I didn't care whether they made me work till 12 I if they didn't if I didn't want to show up I didn't show up and it was mm-hmm. really hurting the institution and it was hurting myself and I really needed to take a, a long hard look at what it was that I did care about mm-hmm. and what it was that that I wanted to do with that and the positive psychology piece of things um uh, seeing folks becoming empowered with the ideas of um, self-agency, whether it be through social justice or whether it be through mental well-being, that's what really, um, in terms of your word of the year, jazzed me up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, also at the same time, it was time for me to leave the nest when it came to higher education, and it was time for me to fall on my own sword. And what made logical sense was working with people um as a life coach and so it was it's almost like the same thing right um for for folks who have ever worked with an advisor in higher education or in high school um you know there's there's folks who help you with your your human development aspect um but then i didn't have to deal with the sort of administ like the administrative stuff there were definitely some times when i felt like i was going into meetings and it felt like um kind of like cognitive pissing contests mm-hmm. more than anything else and, you know, I'm not saying that I'm any happier now, but it is great to be out of that stuff right now. I would, <laughs> I just, I would beg to differ that you probably are happier now. I, uh, I, I would think that I am, yeah. Yeah. I, I would think that I am. But I would definitely say that uh, I'm not – I'm really glad that I got to that spot because it did mean that I was growing and growing and growing every single year. Mm-hmm. And just like any college student, you outgrow it, and it's time for you to move. Right. I want to yeah. go. I want to go back a bit. So you talk about yeah. like you know the the treadmill, the hamster wheel, the go 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 go. Yeah. And then it seemed like there was a transition for you where it sounded like bur- burnout happened, where you're just like, yeah. "Fuck this, I'm done. Um, I don't care about anything." At what point or what was the moment that you hit that wall of like, "I've got to do something different. I can't continue to live like this." Yeah. Well, I think. Um... You know what? Uh, this is in total transparency. It was something that I had been thinking about for a while. And I don't think that I had the moxie to make the transition. Um, by the time I was already going into health, um, I, I was already pretty burned out. You know, um, when you care that much about students and you're seeing things happening to them on a regular basis and you see that you don't have all the ability in the world to do things, I mean, yeah, you kind of burn out. And so I'd been thinking about it for a while. Um, I was also in a Ph.D. program. Don't tell my professors that I'm out of it yet. But, uh, yeah, I was in a Ph.D. program. Um, but everything was pointing that I needed to move forward. I needed to move forward and but stay in higher education. Mm-hmm. Because why would I make 
after 13 years, why would I make a, a jump like that? You know, so I think I was really nervous mm -hmm. about it. I was nervous about going into a completely different space. I, uh, you know, the only other thing I think I had done th before this was roll burritos and be in a band. Yeah. And so I, d I didn't know anything else. And so it was nerve wracking. But I did know that it was, uh, I, I would say that the moment that it happened, there were two things that happened. Um, and it was within two weeks of each other, Lauren. Um, the first one was I went to a coach training. And uh, so we work on our, like, inner barriers and limiting beliefs in this mm -hmm. coach training. It's the second training, if you remember. My too. Uh, <laughs> my too, right? And I remember I was in the middle of the room there doing this fishbowl, and they, uh, the coach kept asking me, like, so what is it that you want? Like, mm -hmm. how do you envision yourself five years from now? Like, those sort of things. Yeah. And I, I just remember going, I don't freaking know. Like, I don't know what my niche is going to be. I don't know. I remember getting more, uh, like, angry at the yeah. question. And then I remember just saying, I just want relief. Like, I want relief from where I am now. Yeah. I'm living in, like, quiet desperation right now. Mm -hmm. And I just want out of that. Like, I don't care what it looks like. I don't care about who I'm going to be coaching. I don't care about showing up at a cocktail party three years from now, <laughs> like telling people what kind of car I'm driving. Like, yeah. I just, so you remember the exercise, yes, right? Yes, I hated it. <laughs> like, all I care about is getting out of where I am right now. That's yeah. all I care about. And that's why I would want to coach. Like, yeah. not about this happiness bull crap or anything else. And I remember I came back to work the next day, and I was like, wow, I said all that, and here I am, like, kind of like with no, like, you know, with with no spine, like, I'm not saying anything about it. Yeah. But um, the thing is, is, like, I think me saying that out loud was a sort of a declaration. And the next thing I know is I was finding ways to avoid going to work. They were having conversations with me. And, you know, it, it was me probably coming to an acknowledgement that I was burnt out and there was mm -hmm. nothing that you could do anymore um, by you, the institution, in terms of, making these great um, promises or mm -hmm. hopes that I'll move forward. Like, I don't want to move forward anymore. I don't yeah. want to do this anymore. And by the end of the, by the end of the month, and I'm sure you know this, like when you have gotten clarity on, on work or a relationship mm -hmm. or anything, it can end very quickly, no matter how powerful it started. Yeah. And that's what happened. It, Once it was you know, you can't unknow. Once, once, once you're woke, as like yeah. as my students say, once you woke, um, and I, I was I was hip to it, and the next thing I know, like it was October twentieth, and I was sitting there and I was like, what what do I do next? And I cranked out a website. Um, I, I opened up my Rolodex. I had thirteen years of people who I worked with, and uh, not that I wasn't scared, but. Uh, I think spitting fire back then meant pushing forward and saying, this is who I am. And I'm also not going to declare a niche because there are a bunch of people out there who feel like they're rev uh, rebels and mavericks and iconoclasts. And I think that I would be the right type of person to work with them and serve them. But isn't that and a niche? It, it, it is a niche. It's, it's both a niche and a brand, I would call it, yeah. right? Um, you know, I think in terms of a lot of places, you have to put like a, a gender and an age and some sort of desire that they want. Yeah. Um, but for me, all I was looking at was, okay, there's people who want to grow and feel like they're stuck. There's people who are transitioning right now and didn't see a transitioning happening um, a couple a couple years ago, a couple months ago, even last week. Mm -hmm. So you can be happy as hell from taking my um, boot camp and then the next week you, you lose your relationship or you uh, lose a job and you got to, you got to pivot on that. You got to yeah. find a way to pivot. And, and it's been really awesome, Lauren. Um, I've been able to work with some really cool folks uh, in terms of clients who've taught me some great things. Um, and in terms of the diaspora, I feel like there are folks that would listen to your show anywhere from folks who want to make it to Playboy at the age of 40 to roller derby people. Yeah. <laughs> so it's been it's been super fun the past the past year. That's awesome. Well, I, yeah. I want to talk about roller derby a little bit because I was reading your, bi your bio <laughs> and I yeah. am super intrigued by your derby name, Manila Ice. 
<laughs> what is there to be intrigued about? It's 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 who I am. It's who I am. It's totally who I am, right? I, I feel like we are kindred with the Jersey freshness and the Manila ice going on tour. You you can't go wrong with the Jersey freshness and Manila ice going on tour. Um, no, I feel like we were. We'll just be like the soothing coolness that everybody needs. <laughs> well, I you know it's. Uh, for 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 derby folks or for anyone who knows anything about derby one of the big things is de determining your name mm -hmm. um because oftentimes it's an enhancement of the strengths you already have mm -hmm. right and so i think um you know some someone being really proud of being filipino for the longest time like just throwing it in there and then i think one of my other superpowers is levity like just kind of taking these really serious topics and kind of uh, not making fun of it, but just, just having fun with it. Yeah, totally. So just drop in the Manila Ice Bomb on that. Yeah. So I'm, I'm in a group of people like The Crusher and all this other <laughs> stuff, and then it's like, and Manila Ice. So it's That's like awesome. It's not like Fluffy uh, Bunny Destroyer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, it, it is really funny because um, uh, oftentimes uh, – I, and I don't know about you, but clients will come in and they'll have like an ideal person or an ideal self that they want to strive to being like, mm -hmm. you know, I want to be so much more active this year in terms of being able to speak up for myself mm -hmm. or being able to go after the things that I want. Well, me turning into Manila Ice allowed me to be something that like Mark Cordone couldn't do. So it was almost like putting on a cape at times, like even though like you wear roller skates and you're a 40 year old. Mm -hmm. But those things bleed, like, having that fearlessness kind of bleeds into other things like work and, how, you know, transitioning from a job of 13 years to being an entrepreneur, you know? Yeah, it's so interesting that you mentioned the cape. Uh, I don't know if you had a chance to listen to it, but I think on our first or second episode, we had Meredith McCaskill, who was actually looking to launch her business called the Cape of Courage. And she started okay. it where basically when people needed that, extra confidence or wanted to feel like that superhero, they had a physical cape that people would put on right before a meeting in order to get that surge of support. That makes so much sense. That's like the, uh, what's that elephant that used to fly by holding a feather? Oh, God. Who right? Was it, was it a Dumbo? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I'm thinking right. of Babar, but Babar didn't fly. <laughs> what? Wow. Well, it was, either, it was either Dumbo or Babar, but there was some idea of the... Um, the placebo effect, right? Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, you give somebody like a a feather or something and they think they can fly because of the feather when it's actually really inner strength. Yeah. And isn't that kind of what we do as coaches? Totally. Like, you know, they rely on us for a while and they, they're like, oh, I think it's because of Lauren that I'm getting all this strength. And all of a sudden Lauren's like, nah, nah, dude. Like, Not saying you know, we're placebo big... pills, we actually do real work, but... <laughs> But we help we, you find the answers and the, your own power pill in yourself. Hey, nice reframe. Yeah. Nice reframe. But, uh, <laughs> yes, I, I would agree. And as a person who has a coach himself, like, I totally believe whether it's placebo or whether it's, it's, uh, it's, it's science, which I tend to believe it's more of. Mm -hmm. um, uh, yeah, I'm, I totally believe in that. So I want to get... I want to get a little controversial because you have you have a new book coming out, but I'm I'm going to take a different spin on this, and I and I want to yeah. hear your thoughts on it. So there's an entire market of these self-help books of coaches yeah. of people that are here to help you get happy, and you said yeah. it yourself. People take these courses, they go to these workshops, they read these books, they feel that surge of energy, they're feeling really great, and then life happens, and they're knocked yeah. on their ass, and they forget the lessons. So. What do you say to someone who's looking at your book, looking at other authors' books, of saying, this is going to fix me, this is going to make me happier, this is going to teach me something, um, and then, you know, a month down the line, they're back to where they started from. What do you say to that? Yeah, well, I, if, if anyone tells you that their book is the solution, they're, they're, they're a pretty bad bullshitter. <laughs> Um, I, I don't think that um, I don't know if any book could be the solution, um, um, but also at the same at the same time, I do think that the solution is all around us. Um, mm -hmm. It's it's I call it um, the difference between your aha moment and your no shit moment. Mm -hmm. So like your aha moment is like, oh, I've been waiting years to be to like figure out what it is that I stand for and mm -hmm. blah, 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 blah. 
when like the whole time like you've been writing these like little blogs and like day day in and day out you've been like life has been telling you that you're a writer right <laughs> and you just haven't been listening to it right uh-huh. um i think the signs are all around us in terms of how we want um uh to take our lives um they're in the movies that we watch they're in the music that we listen to uh it's in the choices that we make and it's in the books that we read um uh for me in terms of writing the book beyond resilience it had nothing to do with happiness mm-hmm. the book is the book has nothing to do with happiness um the the other thing about the book is that um it it's kind of a a warning that like if we try to prescribe ourselves to other people's notions of happiness or even other people's templates or blueprints we're setting ourselves up for what could possibly be a failure because we haven't thought about what is important to us mm-hmm. now i did use some science in there so the idea of self concordance is the idea that you are figuring out what makes you happy and pursuing that mm-hmm. and doing it unapologetically and um from that point that's where sort of uh what i call what not not me is what cory keys calls feeling good and functioning well the two components of flourishing those are that's really what i i try to get at in the book now yeah definitely don't read the book if you don't want, if you don't want to read it because i do think that life is all about um life's got all the lessons that you need but you need to be pe- paying attention to those lessons gotcha. and if it, the same lessons keep happening every single day and you're not paying attention to those no crap moments um you might want oh, no, to pick go up for the, shit no more crap oh okay you know you might want to pick up the book um and i think that's what the book is about um you know just to kind of pull the fourth uh the fourth wall away the book is really the way that i figured out how to write a book when I'm scared shitless to write a book. <laughs> so like all the little tales and all the little things in there, the little quotes from Bruce Lee to I think I I quote pro wrestlers in there. Hell yeah. All of it all of it is done with a wink wink and a nod nod Lauren mm-hmm. because like everybody's got everybody's got these little tidbits of knowledge for us, not just like the fucking gurus you know um and and i think we we have a lot to learn and i'm i'm just learning a lot just talking to you right now so i love you know, the the knowledge truth bombs are good they're all around us. truth bombs no, is truth well it's usually just truth bombs but i i i <laughs> see this idea and you know i have friends who i don't coach but friends that come to me and they're like i just read this great book i've had this epiphany and i think it's kind of this culture that we've created for ourselves where it's this is going to fix me whether it's a yoga class whether it's a coaching session whether it's a doctor's appointment whatever it is we're looking for that one thing that's going to make everything better and i think what i'm hearing from you in this book is that it's it's a process of you checking in with yourself of being inspired but like having those no shit reflections yep. like this is exactly what i'm doing it wasn't all of these external things this was just the reminder of who i am yeah i you should have written this book. You should have been will you be my ghostwriter for the next yeah, one? Yeah, let's do it. Um, well, I think it's funny you mentioned that cuz like I was I was inspired when I saw you posting on the on the Facebook group about, you know, here's my new book. It's so awesome and rad. I started writing a book when we were at iPack and it was called How to Survive a Checkbox on the Apocalypse. So waking up to your life of purpose. Brilliant. Brilliant. I stopped writing it because all of the bullshit came up. I I actually uh-huh. didn't feel centered and focused and and legit as a coach and so I stopped and I realized that I had to do more self reflection so I started to write confessions of a spitfire coach which was my personal story and unfortunately um I gave a copy it wasn't finished I gave a copy to a family member who sent it to other family members without my permission no longer on speaking terms with them um just oh no shit and it it gave me writer's block um I was yeah. afraid to write and so I ended up taking a full on year away from it. I I was coaching. Um yep. but I I started the 100 day blog challenge back in September just to bust me out of that notion that I can't write. Right. Right. And and how's that been going? It's great. I mean, I finished it uh in December and now I'm doing ebook compilations of those blog posts. Um so it's the okay. our guide to branding, public speaking, you know, whatever was coming up of these tricks to come and create a cohesive package and collection. But 
I think the story is different now for the checkbox zombie of, of what it means. And I think there was a lot of judgment, lace, and projection about who sure. I thought I should have been. And I think that's sure. where it stopped. Okay. Okay. Well, it's... I think for anyone who's taken on a long-term project, right, um, you die and resurrect so many times during a long-term project that, like, you'll look at it in the middle and I'm like, and you're like, who wrote chapter one? <laughs> like, totally. totally. Yeah, you know, and, and so I, I think in terms of um, of moving forward, um, there is something to be said about it. And also, like, kudos to you for being able to push through um, after, like, having those kind of gremlins come through. Oh, yeah. um, because those are very real, right? When I mean, that's not just, like, random Amazon, like, haters giving you one star, you know, in nah, terms of you giving I can your, handle that. Your <laughs> right, right. In terms of you giving your manuscript out and feeling the ramifications of, maybe some things that people either interpreted or misinterpreted, you know? Yeah, well, and I think what the big piece for me was that, you know, people want your story, but they don't yeah. deserve your diary. Oh, ooh. So I need, I need you to talk more about that right now. Yeah, so there's, there's kind of this pull that I see with social media where it's this overshare, you know, whether it's Facebook, yeah. Instagram, where it's like, I'm being vulnerable. Look at all of my vulnerability. And sometimes, <laughs> like, when it's exposed like that, it doesn't feel intimate and and sacred. It feels like it's an attention ploy. Um, yeah. And so where your intentions may be good of I'm sharing my story, when you're giving those nitty-gritty details that can hurt other people, that can hurt you, it's yeah. not for everybody because you, you lack the trust and the context behind the story. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think... I think that is such a nice cautionary um, message right now because, you know, during our pre-interview, we were talking about it, like, vulnerability is so punk rock right now. Yeah. You know, and a lot of people are using, you know, either relationships gone bad or things that they've struggled with, and they're putting it out there, like, as a Facebook post, and they're getting a lot of likes or sympathy and stuff like that, but they haven't thought about the ramifications that this is going to have on them or it's having on the people who are very close to them. And um, it's, an, it's an interesting thing right now with, with sort of the way that a lot of folks have used it to use their stories to try to think about both empowerment, mm -hmm. but also at the same time, like, straight up marketing. This might help me get a boost right now. Yeah. And that it's is hurting so more, dirty. It's hurting more. It's, yeah, it's hurting more people than it's helping. Totally. Um, so yeah, I'm glad that you I'm I'm glad that you brought that up. The result of spitting fire, people. Sometimes people get burned. The more you know. Oh, that's so good. The Can more you, you take know. The heat. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah. I mean, here's the funny thing. So I actually came up with the Spitfire Coach brand in Mod Two, um, with yeah. our iPack, and yeah. I used it for a little bit, and then I stopped. Because two men said to me, Lauren, that's too much. That's really aggressive. And you could really put people off with that name. And I stopped using it for like a year and a half, two years. Okay. And it's only been recently that I'm like, no, no, no. Wow. This is my fire, and I'm going to spit it. And if you can't take wow. the heat, back up. Wow. Well, what sucks for them is that you've gone through this sort of reclamation now, and like it's it's going to be pretty hard for you to pull that off the table after two years of having that off, and now putting it back on. Yeah. You know, well, um, I, and I realized that they, it was them trying to like make it safe for me to because I was a new coach, and they're like, no, no, we don't want people to say no to you. But I would say to people like, if you know inherently who you are, don't ever make yep. any make ever make concessions for that. Like, be all out you. And yep. don't apologize, because when you start accommodating other people's impressions of who you're supposed to be, you become so unlike yourself that you're like, ew. <laughs> I'm, I'm really happy that you brought that up, and I wish that, uh, I wish that you had coached me, like, the first six months, <laughs> because it's, like, it, I wanted to articulate that, like, sort of rebel part, mm -hmm. and uh, I think you and I belong to some of the same coaching circles. Yeah. Uh, 
you know, at least a few Facebook groups, uh, you know, and I put it out there like, here's this like new thing that I'm coming out with. I'm serving folks who feel rebellious or like that they're, they're kind of like misfit toys and stuff like that. And I remember some folks were like, you will never get business. Um, and I would never want to be, um, I would never want to serve folks like that. Fantastic. More for me. Right? <laughs> well, well and, and at first I was just like, okay, maybe this person's got a point. Um, but then also at the same time, I'm like, yes, exactly, like exactly what you, what you said, Lauren, like, no, like these are, maybe this is the group that really wants the coaching, that, that wants the education, that yeah. they don't necessarily need therapy, but they're not necessarily flourishing. Mm -hmm. And just because they're not status quo, that doesn't mean that there's no coach, that, that they, they don't need coaching. Yeah. You know, and, and so I, I feel super, super, um, I, I feel super grateful that those counterpoints came out as early as they did. So I think anybody who is kind of going through a period right now where folks are kind of telling you, you know, this is the way things go. This is, you know, your niche isn't going to work or mm -hmm. where you want, what you want to pursue is not going to work. There's probably a reason, excuse me. I just had a meatball sub. It was good. There's probably, there's probably a reason why they're saying that. And oftentimes they try to say, uh, say those things to it's keep them. us safe. Yeah. They want to keep us safe or they want to keep themselves safe. Um, or like if, uh, I know a couple of your guests have talked about big, hairy, audacious goals, right? Like when we said big, hairy, audacious goals, uh, it, they're often meant for people to question whether we can achieve them or not. Yeah. And then usually when we do achieve them, that's when people start to mimic us. Mm -hmm. That's when people start to walk down the paths we went down. So, yeah, yeah, uh, it's super cool to hear that, like, a person that went in the coaching program that I went into, like, also got some pushback. Um, I think Spitfire is awesome. It's so good. I love it so much. Yeah. I think it's, like, I, I'm one of those people, and I have a feeling you may be one of them too, that when someone tells you can't, you're like, hell yeah, I'll show you. And it becomes, <laughs> like, we have the rebellious nature. I, I will admit that. So it's like, no, no, you don't tell me no, and it will make me work ten times as hard to show you that I can. There, there is a certain, uh, there is a certain, uh, told you so, or, uh, you know, that's part of my, I, I, for me, I'm just speaking in I, I call it a character flaw, but it does, push me to work really hard. You know, mm -hmm. I remember when I started Derby and folks were like 38 year old on skates, like ain't going down, you no. know, and, and it <laughs> pushed me to work really hard. I remember the first time, um, uh, I, so we were in a band and, uh, I remember this guy after the show came up to me and goes, um, you sing. I, I know he meant it as a compliment, but he's like, you know, if I, if I closed my eyes when you were singing, I wouldn't know that you were Asian. Was <laughs> <laughs> like, like, like a karaoke? Or something? And I was like, that's good to know. Like, I'm going to hear more of those. Like, we're going to, like, create a nice little tour now about that because, like, I want to be one of these folks that starts breaking stereotypes now because if somebody totally. was on that level, like, yeah, like, I, I totally want to have that kind of conversation and... Um, you know, not to be super like hubris like, but like I wanted more Asians to see like, hey, you could be in front of the mic and be like yeah. a cool cat with a with a song and could carry a tune and, and it didn't matter, you know. So, yeah, I, I definitely have that kind of rambunctiousness when someone's like, you can't do that. Yeah, well, I, I actually see a different level of that, like the, the box of expectation of like not sounding like you look or what people expect from you. I mean, that, yeah. that's always been my strength. I became an executive director at 22, and so people would talk to me on the phone or email with me, and then they would meet me in person, all five, two and a half of me, and they're like, wait a second. <laughs> How do you do this? Uh, I'm not sure I'm much older and taller. <laughs> yeah. And then yeah. fast forward to now where I'm rapping on stage, and they're like, wait a second. What is this? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> It's yes, mind-blowing so, so, They're great. So I, I am curious. How do you go from being sort of an exec that could be ostensibly ahead of their time to mm -hmm. uh, 
um, where you are right now in D.C. And, and with the coaching and the podcasting and the, the rapping. Yeah, well, I mean, it's all kind of been based in D.C. I think I was just really accelerated for my time. I kind of like the <laughs> nonprofit sphere in, yeah. in 11 years. I was like, been there, done that, traveled the world, met some awesome yeah. people. But I realized that I felt more powerful inspiring other people than like running events and, and connecting yeah. people that way. So once I mean, once I realized I wanted to be a coach, there was no stopping me. Um, and I right actually just had this kind of epiphany two days ago because I was doing consulting work for um, for someone I was coaching with, but I was doing business development. And I realized, like, why am I putting all this energy in building someone else's brand when I can be doing this for myself? And so we actually exactly. had a great conversation. I said, I'd love to go back to coaching you. Um, I need to focus on my company. And he was like, right on. Let's do it. Exactly. Exactly. So five years from now, because I'm going to listen to, like, these podcasts, like, the, the next couple guests you have and, and into the years if, the, if you choose to move forward. Oh, like, we're, we're rocking so, and rolling. <laughs> right? So, like, so five years from now, we run, in, we run into each other in, like, a live karaoke bar. <laughs> you and I have a rap battle. Of course it's a stalemate. Manila Ice and Jersey can never top one and never. One another. Everyone's minds are blown. And then I'm like, oh, by the way, Lauren, like, what are you up to nowadays? Yeah. <laughs> what are you going <laughs> to drop on me? What's going on? Um, I think I'm probably done with my 10th book and doing, <laughs> yeah, I'm doing two years. We're talking five years, man. I am a content machine. Um, but I have a team working for me now, so I'm now actually coaching and training people on how to become their own Spitfire coach. So we're doing leadership and, and confidence training um, in corporate and, and also outside to help entrepreneurs who are launching to feel really secure in who they are um, and working with kids too because I think that that has been huge to get them in that confident foundation as they're, as they're going about middle school and beyond, finding little Spitfires. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. Because isn't that usually when it starts, right? And then well, you're indoctrinated to not be a Spitfire. I mean, I, I think about, like, what was that point in time where I lost my confidence? And it was probably, like, 9, 10, that awkward time where, like, you're, you're starting to look like an adult, but you definitely are not an adult. And I advanced really, really early. Like, I think I was 10, 11, and I looked like a 16-year-old. Um, and I didn't, I didn't have the skills to deal with it. And so if I – and my parents divorced when I was four, so I, just, I was very quiet and yeah. myself and internalizing all of it and not having an outlet – and so for me, it's like, if I had something like this back then, how could my life, not that I regret anything that's happened in my life because it's gotten me to this point, but like how much more powerful and secure could I have been in my 20s when, when everyone's doubting themselves and questioning where they need to be? Or is that part of right. the process that we all have to have? Right. Wow. Well, I don't know if that's something that can be answered right now, right? Right. But also, well, yeah. just, just to <laughs> offer that up as a, as a resource um, is pretty amazing, I think, you know, um, especially given the fact that a lot of folks think that there's only one way um, to go through schooling yeah. and life. You know, you got to do it like a lockstep way, you know, yeah. and, and your life only progresses in a linear fashion when a lot of times, you know, and especially during childhood when you go into something that feels like a regression or you mm -hmm. feel like you're falling back or you feel like, hey, I'm not like the rest of the kids. And you do everything. Actually, I was explaining it to to um, my cousin this way the other day. I was like, it's like being born with angel wings, and you realize that other kids don't have it, so you uh -huh. hide yours. Yeah. Well, my mom, my mom said the best yeah. thing to me when I was growing up. She said, "Lauren, sometimes awesome needs to stand alone." Ha! <laughs> Holy shit! But solid that you hear that because you're like, but I'm by myself. I know, I know. <laughs> yeah, but I always knew I was so different funny. when I was a kid. Like, I, I wasn't into the same stuff, and I had to kind of, like, dumb myself down in order to, yep. like, be accepted. And, I mean, I was a cute kid, so I got by, you know, with being weird. But, you know, it sucked because I was just like, who am I in all of this? But here's sure. the funny thing. I remember it was my great uncle was the first one to call me a spitfire when I was four okay. years old. He's like, that girl's a little spitfire. So, so this quality was identified in you in a very early age. Yeah, it was just me getting back to who I was. <laughs> okay, so I, w I wanted to ask the Spitfire this, because yeah. I think about it oftentimes with, with happiness, right? Mm -hmm. um, because being a Spitfire seems to be something that is just ingrained in your value system. 
you know? Um, and so I, I think about things like um, happiness, right? And, like, can you truly be the ultimate level of happiness without having felt the bottomed-out level of sadness? Ah, so you're t talking emotional range. Um, yes, and it, it would go to the Spitfire. Like, can yeah. you be Spitfire without knowing pain? That's without a knowing? great question. I don't think you appreciate it at the same level. I think, okay. I think the intensity of the fire that you spit comes from that, you know, resilience, from the pain, from the healing, from the... I think it's it's the truth in fire, but I think, you know, it's not necessary of, like, you know, go out and hurt yourself or go feel real pain, but I think it's about just going through life and being open to sure. the experience of it. And I think a lot of people operate, and I want to avoid pain. I want to I wanna avoid being uncomfortable and feeling awkward. But I would say that the more that you can just sit in that and experience it rather than having the judgment of this feels bad will allow you to really generate that internal fire. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, well, then no one really needs to read my book now because you just answered <laughs> one of the biggest oh. premises in the book. Like, um, Maybe we need part two then. Like, we're exploring the, the, the theories and, you know, is it true? Well, I've got some I've got some ideas for part two already because um, yeah. I put that thing on post-it notes. But uh, <laughs> one of the one of the premises, so I got a lot of post-it notes left. But one of the premises that I um, I put forward in the book is that um, there is you really can't have uh, true growth without like even in nature you can't have growth without um, some pain. sort of like pain or. Mm -hmm. And some and some sort of fertile soil for it to grow in, and usually that's after some sort of destruction has happened, right? Like with everything that's going on with the trees burning down, like there will be some beautiful things that grow from that in a couple years yeah. from now because it's going to be fertile soil, and it's going to be painful to watch, right? There's growing pains, um, and so really the only way that you can stop pain from happening or growth from happening is to not experience. Life, not to, mm. to experience the happiness or the sadness. But I don't so, think you have a choice in that. Well, I, I, I think nowadays there's the choice to avoid. There is, but I, I would venture to say that if you keep avoiding, life will happen in a way that smacks it in your face, and you can no longer ignore it. Well, that's when it becomes trauma, right? It, that's very true, and I would say that the more that you avoid and push, I say this to my clients all the time. They're like, I don't know why this keeps happening to me. I said, well, tell me where the lesson was learned and the shift in behavior changed. And they're like, well, it didn't. Yeah. And I said, then that's, it will keep getting more intense and show up in different ways until you truly see, feel, experience it, learn and shift and grow from it. Yeah, I totally agree with you on that one, Lauren. Like, um, it's 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 there. It's mm -hmm. it's it's there in front of us. Um, I, I think maybe the, the part that, that, uh, I wouldn't say that it's disagreement, but I think that the part that we we would we would um, part ways on contrast on is the idea of whether we choose uh, is that idea of choice. But I think where we come back together on is that it hits you in the face at some point if yeah. you continue to push away from it for long enough. Very true. I, I, I mean, love when we make up. You love what when we make up? I love when we make up. <laughs> I hate when we fight, but I do love when we make up. That's funny. I know. I have such an internal fighter in me. I was like, no, let's look at it this way. And I'm like, no, that's oh, not at all. Yeah, no, not at all. I, I com completely agree with you. So. Well, I mean, I'm so, just yeah. thinking of, like, you know, the 1950s, 60s housewife. I see, I see women in their 50s and 60s who mm -hmm. are so seemingly unfazed by things that bug the shit out of me. And yeah. I'm like, how are you tuned out and I realized that it is a learned behavior to be mm -hmm. shut down that that's a coping yeah. mechanism rather to than to fully see the pain that is existing yeah. in your life and the pain that you recreate yeah yeah um I would I would compare it to the have you heard of the swimming duck syndrome no oh, it's like so, smiling underneath the surface yeah so yeah. like everything looks fucking fine on the surface mm -hmm. and then like if you go underneath the water you see a like the little legs like flailing yeah. around and stuff like that. Um, and, and that could be the internal uh, dissonance that is trying to be suppressed, right? Yeah, but, but I, um, I'm so amazed at it because like at yeah. 31, I hit my wall where I'm like, I can't fucking do this anymore. But I'm like, yeah. you have lived your entire life like this with no outlet. Like how, how, 
exhausting and how like are, are people then just so desensitized to any other way of being that they've kind of thrown in the towel on happiness right right well let me ask you what was when you when you were 31 what was the the change agent or what was the event that um i don't know for lack of a better term caused the awakening where you it, were like yeah, I mean, it, this isn't the, the, it's actually not in depth on the opening ramp, but basically it was a series okay. of events where I was working 16 hours a day. I was working the nonprofit. I was running a CrossFit gym with my now ex-husband, and I was yeah. just feeling so unheard and, and underappreciated, and I was resentful. And I was in Scottsdale, Arizona, uh, running a convention. This was a big party-style convention with you know, 500 people. And I remember getting so drunk, mm-hmm. like, that day in front of members that I'd lost my shit. Like I could not keep yeah. it together and I have never lost control like that. And I'm like, yeah. not only are you jeopardizing your safety, but you're jeopardizing your future, your career, your reputation. And luckily nothing came from that. But at that moment, I'm like, I need help. Like I have yeah. family members who struggle from alcoholism um, and addiction. And I'm like, no, 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 we're not doing this. You need help right now. And so I ended up contacting um, a career coach because I thought it was my job that was making me miserable. And he asked me that question that you were talking about in IPAC of, you know, what do you want? What do you want oh, for yourself? And uh, I couldn't answer him. Yeah. I was just like, yeah. well, I want this and this and this. He's like, no, no, Lauren, you're describing a job. What do you want right now? And I'm like, I want to be happy. And I lost it. Like all of that yeah. suppressed like emotion of 30 plus years of just like holding it together and seeming perfect for everyone else. I lost my shit. And I was like, okay, yeah. now we're getting somewhere. And it was yeah. a series of those ugly, nasty cries of, like, getting to that guttural, like, who am I and who do I want yeah. to become? Yeah, yeah. And so from that point, like, how did you start moving to where it is that you are now? I mean, it, the funny thing is, like, on session two with my coach, yeah. he, he was an iPad graduate, and he said, Lauren, you know, you're meant to be a coach. Like, everything you're talking about is what, coaches do and I was like life coaches are bullshit it's woo woo I'm not doing this and he's like we'll have a conversation and I did and I was like holy shit I can totally do this but you know why I had I had a friend who became a life coach and I thought she was a hot mess and I was like yeah. if she can be a life coach what the fuck is this um, and she was really pushy like it felt like one of those multi-level marketing like pushes to get a life coach and I was like ooh. Right. Um, right. so it was a total turn off but I realized no, I can do this in my terms. I can be the coach I want to be. I can be a business and life coach, and I can be the yep. spitfire, and I can do whatever the hell I want. Um, yeah. And the divorce came within a month of that because I knew that at that moment, like, I was never going to play small again, um, and we were never going to be compatible. And luckily, in the state of Nevada, I don't know if you know this, you can get divorced within 24 hours. Yeah, you can flip that. Yeah. You can flip that real quick. Flip it and reverse it. Yeah, but I, I think, you know, when change happens, there's like that smack of like, nope, can't do it. Can't do it anymore. Can't. Got to do something yep. different. And you can try yep. to piece it together. And I did. I was like, yeah, we can just live this life where we don't have kids and, you know, live separately. And, blah, blah. and I was like, fuck this. Because I kept thinking like, you're timed out. You're 31. You, you can't yeah. have, you can't have another family you now are tainted with the divorce card on you um and then i was just like fuck it like i don't care yeah yeah yeah. well what's funny was i remember when you were using the word accommodating earlier on and i was like wow it seemed like when you were 31 like accommodating was something that you were doing on the reg all the time like yeah it's so how i mean it's you know in retrospect you could see how that kind of interface with the coach would be like volcanic emotionally you know life coaching when done correctly is there's this feeling of freedom that you experience and um it's not just life coaching but like when you're doing something that is really in tune with what it is that you stand for whether it be a life coach or a folk singer um I think there was somebody I heard that was like all about peace or something like oh, that. Oh yeah, you know, Amiga. like yeah, and it, it doesn't matter whether I agree with peace or agree with folk singing or anything like that. What matters is that I see somebody who's completely connected to their passion. Yeah, and I think that's what I love about you know like this show is that 
you know, there's there's a lot of different folks, including the host, who was like, yo, I used to accommodate myself. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that has to do with like external expectations. of Yeah. Me, right? But then when you start bringing it to an internal place where the meaning and the purpose comes from where you exist. Yeah, it's a little fucking woo. Um, but also at the same time, there's enough science that says like your brain changes, your mm -hmm. body changes. Um, you stop feeling these aches and pains. Yeah. You're more prone to avoid like little depressive states. That's enough for me to go into a place where I want to empower as many people and have as much fun as possible. Hell yeah. Um, so, you know, to, you know, and to write a book. I never thought that I could write a book and I finished one in a couple months. So I'm so um, proud of you. And I'm so happy that you did because otherwise, like, I don't think we would have ever met. I was like, I, don't think guy, I want to talk to him. Who's this crazy Asian? I would love to give out a copy of the book to um, all the good folks, all the good Spitfires out there. Yeah, you um, must be a Spitfire in order to read it or want to be yes, a Spitfire. Yes. <laughs> the, the, actually, the, there is no prerequisite to it, but the only thing <laughs> I, I do want you to think about is um, as you're reading the book, like if you had like two minutes and you had like a golden microphone that translated into every single language, like what is it that you'd want to tell the world? For me, it's the idea of, of uh, existing beyond resilience, like mm -hmm. not just like um, bouncing back from all of life's stressors, but really becoming like Pac-Man. Remember when he used to eat those power pellets and then yeah. chase the ghosts? Uh, or if folks like watched Wicked, like that part of Wicked where Elphaba starts hovering over the crowd, and she like unfurls her powers like that's what being beyond resilience is and i've got a lot of scientific proof that it, it exists not just not floating but more so just your mindset um so i, I would i hope that you all enjoy the book and don't read it like a template just kind of have fun with it and with the metaphors um and if you want the book you can email me at mark m-a-r-c at mark cordon m-a-r-c C O R D O N dot com. So Mark at MarkCordone dot com. Um, and yeah, let's let's just have keep having fun. I want to give a big thank you to Mark Cordone for joining me for another awesome episode of the Spitfire Podcast. His book is going to be available in our show notes. So feel free to visit SpitfirePodcast.com or if you're on iTunes, look at the show notes. You can download it there. Be sure to send him a note. He's an awesome guy. His email is Mark, M-A-R-C, at MarkCordon.com. That's M-A-R-C-C-O-R-D-O-N. And for all the Spitfires out there, keep being awesome. It is amazing the people we've talked to, our guests, our creative entrepreneurs, our passionate professionals working and living in their dream. And I hope you've been inspired along the way. And if you are one of these Spitfires and you want to share your story, I want to hear from you. And I think our guests want to hear from you. So visit the Spitfire podcast. So go to spitfirepodcast.com. You're going to see a link under podcast for be a guest. Fill out a form, schedule your time with me, and we'll get you on board. If you love this podcast, share it with your friends. Subscribe. We're on iTunes. We're on Google Play. And you can see all of our past episodes at spitfirepodcast.com.